Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. On today's episode, my guest is Brandon Tumblin, the host of the Strong Stoic podcast. Brandon is a friend, deep thinker, and someone with an interesting perspective on life. I highly encourage you to check out his podcast. He explores a wide range of philosophical ideas, both solo and with guests. In the conversation, Brandon and I discuss happiness, stoicism, love, desire, the good life, and much more. Now, without further delay, please welcome the wise and gracious Brandon Tumblin. What comes up when you think of of happiness? Yeah, so I would say that like Seneca's and not just Seneca, but the Stoics in general thought that basically happiness was something that you didn't really go after directly. And this, this isn't just Stoicism, you know, a lot of different philosophies have this, but basically if you go after happiness directly, they didn't believe that that's the best way to actually get it. That happiness was sort of a byproduct of, of other things, right? So that might be a great place to start to get into this because basically how the Stoics thought that you should do it is through virtue, which, you know, you might say today, be a good person. That might be the best translation, right? But um, yeah, so that, I mean, and in Seneca's essay here on the happy life, that's really his main proposition. And it's it's good to know the historical context because the Epicureans thought that, you know, you go after happiness directly and that was the way to, to become happy. And so it's, it's a slight, and it really gets down to pleasure, right? But it's a slight, uh, that's really the key difference between Stoicism and, and Epicureanism, for example. Um, so, and I think that's true. I think it's true. If you, if you go after happiness directly, I think you're much less likely to get it. How about for you? Like, we just passed the new year. Like, I'm curious, do you ever think about goals or anything like that? Yeah, that's, that's a cool question, actually. Because I feel like New Year's is the time for most people where they start to they start to think about their ideal life and i've actually i've spoken before that you know you shouldn't really have a new year's resolution you should work on getting better each and every day and that sort of blabber but but it's funny because even during new year's even though i say that and i believe it i still start thinking to myself huh what would my perfect life be like what can i change in 2022 that would make my life better and so new year's is kind of a way for you to think about that like what's my ideal life or in that in those terms that you used what life would make me the most happy. Uh, and so that's when you start thinking about things. And it's interesting that people think, think the, the things that people think about exercise, uh, better relationships with my family. I'm going to try harder at work. I'm going to dig deeper into my passions. Like it's so funny to me because everybody knows these, the secret mm-hmm. to life, everyone knows. <laughs> so, but you know, life is difficult. So you sort of fall off the bandwagon through time, but what do you think about New Year's, man? Do you do you set resolutions? I do not. I'm not traditionally a like a goal writer downer type of stuff. The ha- happiness thing, it's an interesting thing of like like what is happiness in in daily life? I don't know. I I tend to 
connect more with like some idea of of being at peace or something like that. Yeah, no, I think that's that is the fundamental reason for philosophy and religion as a whole. You know, like if you zoom out of Stoicism, if you zoom out of Christianity and Catholicism, all those pretty much most religions and philosophies, what you'll find is that they're trying to do something like re- reduce existential suffering, right? And really what that means is we'd say today happiness. Now, I don't like the term happiness because I don't think it really represents what the Greeks meant. I don't think it really mean represents what what even Christianity says it is. But nevertheless, it's it's a state where the suffering in life seems to be irrelevant, right? Hmm. Another thing that like comes up as well for me, and, and it connects with some of the things that you mentioned, though, of it not necessarily being a secret. Exercise, virtue, being a good person. There's something um, that I, re- I remember like quite well. Uh, a couple years back, my, my daughter is learning to ride the bike. And I remember when we got back, I, w- I told her, um, hey, I'm, I'm proud of you. She said, I'm proud of myself. She really had like a sense of pride. And I was thinking, man, that is so rare. You know, it's like, how do we get to that point where we're proud of of something we've done? And it, and it comes back to a bit of that character or virtue or doing something that might be not necessarily like pleasure or the easy way. But, you know, something difficult where at the end of it, I'm proud of myself. Pride is an interesting topic because I've confused it for a very long time with ego. Yeah. Because you say, okay, well, if you have a big ego, obviously that's a problem. But how does that differentiate between pride? And I don't know. Maybe we can hash it out between us. But I think what I'm starting to realize is that pride means you care. Like if you take pride in your job. It means you care about your job. You care about the quality of it. You're, you're focused on making it the best that you possibly can. If you have a big ego, you just think you're really good at your job and everyone else is stupid. Yeah. So when you talk about things like overcoming challenge, it's like I am proud of that. It's because I've, I've cared and I've, I've shown that I care through my actions. I've worked hard at it. Um, what do you think of pride? Like, do you, have you ever confused it with ego? Because I, I stumbled on that for a, quite a long time. It's a really interesting point because it's, um, you know, maybe being proud of yourself, your particular efforts is different than than pride. Like, I wonder if that connects with really being at peace. It's like, you, you, you know, you choose some sort of virtuous path and at the end of those particular actions, you're maybe really just more at, at peace with it that you you made you know that you chose like the difficult um path and i'm not even sure if like maybe peace is not even the right word but it's like you're not disappointed in yourself that you (laughs) that you did the opposite you know you're not there's no guilt there there's no you know anything from from choosing vice or choosing some sort of less than virtuous action so if that's not there maybe it's you know just a bit of what Seneca talks about of, you know, tranquility of, of mind. Yeah. And I think really what it, that gets down to is, 
you're happy about the fact that you did the right thing, right? Which, which is what virtue really is. It's like doing the right thing. And so when you're talking about like tranquility of mind, because that doesn't always give you peace. This is a weird thing, but it gives you this inner peace in the sense that if you've done the right thing, you are going to be happy about that. And the alternative is not doing the right thing. And you're going to just feel corrupted from the inside out. And you literally will be, you know, but at the same time, when you're doing the things like, it's not always the case that doing the right thing means everyone's going to applaud you or that, you know, you're going to feel good about it. A lot of times doing the right thing is hard. And that's why not everyone does it all the time. That's why people struggle with this on a daily basis, because it's not easy to do the right thing. But, you know, you kind of got to pick your suffering, man. Like, are you going to pick the suffering that's going to eat you from the inside out? Or are you going to be as pure as you can on the inside and deal with the externals? Like it's, it's, um, and I mean, I, I think I know, I know what I prefer. I prefer to focus on me and that's why stoicism is so important to me because it does focus on what you can do and it ignores externals as long as your character is good you are good as a stoic um but that doesn't mean that it's easy to be a stoic right (laughs) the uh i i love in many of seneca's letters just these these rhetorical questions that he's asking for himself like to me it's un unbelievably practical. You know, he's asking like, why do I seek virtue? No, no reason, nothing to attain. Like virtue is its own reward over and over throughout it. It's nothing to gain, nothing to achieve other than just that, what I might think of like the peace that comes from that virtuous act. Which is tough. It, man, that that is like an easy thing, I think, to forget. It is, but at the same time, I think you can kind of feel it if you do it long enough. Yeah. You know, like I, I've had this weird thing. Um, I've had this weird thing here over the past few months, and over the past few months, I've been really focused, you know, on my own podcast and working really hard at work, and I just feel like my life's pretty lined up well right now. But I've noticed this interesting thing where on Friday nights, and today's Friday, so in about. I don't know, six hours, I'll be feeling this. I just get this huge influx of gratitude. Mm. Like, and I, and I've never had that before in my life. Not regular. I've had gratitude. Yes. But I've never had like regular predictable influxes of gratitude. Like I'll just, you know, like a lot of my family, they'll get a text from me on Friday nights. Just say, Hey, I love you. I'm happy you were alive. This kind of moochie moochie stuff that they probably puke over. But I just, I feel that and I, I I don't I'm trying to figure out why, but I think it is because throughout my week I am really aligned with what I'm doing. Like I really believe in what I'm doing. And I don't know. What do you what do you think of that? I, I'm curious. How about the opposite? You know, to go to uh you know, your guy Dostoevsky talking about I love the idea of like happiness of understanding what doesn't bring you happiness is is important like if you think of some of those friday nights where there's not that influx of of gratitude what's what's different yeah i would say it's it's i mean i'm very self-critical so maybe i was on a guest episode or maybe i had a guest on the podcast and i said something stupid or maybe i don't know i realized 
I didn't have a clue about something I talked about last year. Maybe I was ignorant at work and, and, and just, you know, knew better, but didn't do it. Like there's always, I can always trace it back to something that I Hmm. didn't do. And it it (laughs) normally goes back. It's in fact, it's always something that's in my control. Um, Sometimes maybe I'm a little bit too harsh on myself, but, (laughs) but like, it's, it's always something that I did. It's never something external. It's never like, oh, the weather was bad this week or man, that guy at work was a dick. It was, it's never anything like that. It's always like character driven. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing of, um, the virtue is its own reward and, and maybe some sort of, uh, gratitude coming at the, at the end of that. In looking in the rearview mirror, I, I am mostly noticing where I've missed the mark in, in some way. I'm just curious how this resonates you, with you in, in regards to your your parenting, because one of the things that I'm terrified, I mean, I'm not a father yet, but I want to be someday. And one of the things that terrifies me about that idea is that, you know, you're, you're, you're going to make mistakes. You're, you're going to screw them up in their own way, right? It's just parenting. Yeah. Um, so, and I, and I'm, I'm, genuinely worried about that because I am so self-critical. Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? Like, I'm sure, I'm sure you're a really great father, but I know you're not perfect because you're a human being. So yeah, when you, when you find yourself maybe snapping or maybe that's, I know you're, you're a pretty calm dude, but, or maybe you give them the wrong lesson or like, is there anything that you've, that you do or that you've done that you recognize that maybe it wasn't the best thing? And does that bother you? Or do you, how do you deal with that? Definitely. Yeah. I've got a, a three-year-old son who can be pretty challenging and I should should have more patience and, and things like that. It's like this weird thing to tie it to, to Seneca. Like, I, I like this idea in the beginning. What are we seeking? You know, let's determine not only like where we're heading, but what path. Well, well let's find an expert who's, you know, already been. When we spoke on, on your podcast, you know, now, uh, three or four months ago or something like that, you know, the idea of, um, of some sort of self love, like love yourself, grace for yourself, like be kind, never for a long time of my life, that idea just didn't really connect, but it, it does like as a parent, as you know, everything that you're talking about, like it, it does connect. And obviously like you've are well read and you, you know, you read some of these people that are wise and have maybe been down the path before. There's a lot of, we're imperfect in, in terms of uh, Seneca. Like, he, you know, he's writing about this idea of journaling, examine your day, hold yourself to account, but also forgive yourself, move on, and and do better the next day. I swear I think Mm -hmm. that is so important. I'm like a broken record because I think another conversation we were talking about, it's like, you know, a bit of forgiveness, like wipe the slate clean and and do better the next day. When you were on my podcast, that was, that's probably going to be one of the most defining moments, like in my, in, in, I, I don't mean want to be too dramatic about this, but like you really made me realize what love really meant. And I've been thinking about it a lot over the last three months, but that, cause I remember you asked me if I loved myself and I answered, I started answering as if you asked me the question, do you like yourself? 
you know, I started saying, well, I don't think it's relevant if you like yourself because do I like the fact that I'm introverted or do I like the fact that I'm conscientious? Like, I don't know. It comes with good things. It comes with bad things. Do I like, it's like, it doesn't really make sense, but you corrected me. You said, well, think about love more as an action. Like, what do you do for yourself? And I've thought about that quite a bit and I'm going to do an episode on this soon on my own podcast, but I think what I narrowed it down to is that when you love someone, you want the best for them. And the best for them is not always the best for them in this very moment. So there's that. There's that element of, you know, go through challenge, go through adversity. But it also, it's it's not just that, though, because you can, it's easy to say, oh, I love everyone. I want the best for everyone. It's like, okay, that's that's a bit much, right? Why is that a bit much? It's because when you say you love someone, you want the best for them. But you also want the best for them and you are willing to help them on that journey. Mm. And I think... I think that's what love is. It's wanting the best for people and willing to suffer with them along that journey. Love is a weird word in the English language. In Greek, in C.S. Lewis, you know, there's four different words for, for love. There's a quote by the Buddha that I like. If your compassion does not include yourself, it's incomplete. We can be very very hard on ourselves like in terms of some of the the inner voice the way that we talk to ourselves sometimes or the way that we might examine our past actions we would never do that to a friend we would never treat a friend or someone that we care about in that way i've recently been thinking how if you want to be really successful in life you need strength more than anything and the reason you need strength more than anything is because, well, what leads to success, hard work, ambition, all these personality traits and, and, and action, efficiency, all these things, but you're only one person. So there's only so much work that you can do, but there's 7 billion people out there. So the higher you crawl up, let's say the social hierarchy, however you want to say it, you're going to have people that are going to want to tear you down a little bit. And everyone experiences a celebrities, um, but academics, everyone that, that is well-known, they experience this. So what I've been thinking is, you know, you're only one person, but there's 7 billion people that can potentially want to tear you down. And so what leads to success and happiness, if you're, if you're going after both is strength is, is the ability to go against that adversity. But I'm starting to think now, can that only happen if you are at peace with yourself? Why? Why go against adversity? What is adversity? Why is there a need to to go against it would be like a curiosity. Yeah, well I just I just think that it's just it's just inevitable, right? It gets down to um you know, there's a scene in Rocky Balboa or Rocky, the Rocky movies where his son's coming to him and he's like he's kinda upset he's you know he's a fail he considers himself a failure you know i'm under i'm under your shadow dad what what are you doing to me you're ruining my life and rocky basically slaps him with this truth which is like you know if you know what you're worth man go out and get what you're worth but you got to be willing to take the hits because there's going to be people that are that. going to hit you along the way yeah. so that's kind of where my mind is with this i'm starting to think like it's so true it's so true it's, it's like if you if there's anything you want in life like if you want to be a manager, let's put this simply for most people can understand. If you want to be a manager, you're going to have to accept the fact that when you're a manager and you make a decision, not everyone's going to agree with you. 
Some people are going to disagree with you. Not everyone's going to love you. And then the higher you go up, the more that becomes true because you have more people underneath you. So if you look at like the president, how many people are against him and everything that he says? 50-50? Rough, like let's just, I know that's a really gross approximation, but let's just say yeah. half the people in the United States agree with something he says, the other half d- does not. What's that, 180 million people? Like yeah. it's just, I just feel like as you get higher and higher, the, the there's just more people that quantifiably that are going to throw hits at you. And not to hate them for that, but, but to like, how do you come to peace with that as an individual? That's, that's interesting to, to stay with the, like the Rocky movie as an example. I know the exact scene that you're, that you're talking about. You know, it's great. Like you gotta be willing to take the hits. But what I think is curious is like, you know, to use that same example, like everything they's bringing up, like. Well, like, are those hits like what, like, is that even, is that even adversity? Like, it seems like it's a, um, you know, it's like a judgment of you, you'd have to label it like as adversity. If, if you think of like some sort of, uh, like view from above, like this spectrum of adversity, suffering, whatever it may be like Rocky's son, someone could make the argument that like, that's, that's not even adversity. Like those aren't even hits. Like what hits are you talking about? Like if you, if if that character was talking to Dostoevsky, you know, (laughs) three years into his, you know, when he's in prison in this Siberian prison camp, you know, type of thing, it's like, and, and that's, and that's, what's weird. It's, well, are those, like, is, you know, is this ad- adversity? Like, are these truly hits? I mean, it depends. It can be go go either way. But I think it's like, it's an interesting question to ask. Like, whatever adversity mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think about that? <clears throat> yeah, that's cool. Because I, I think it gets down to, like, what's relative, right? So you say, and this is a problem, I think, with, with a lot of modern people in the Western world is that a lot of them just haven't, a lot of us, I should say, we haven't really had any exposure to war. We haven't really had any exposure to like, like really terrible social atrocities. And so the the worst thing that happens, I think it was Joe Rogan who said that the worst thing that happens to you is the worst thing that happens to you. So if all mm-hmm. that ever happened to your life is that you stubbed your toe on a desk, that becomes like the worst possible thing that you can possibly imagine. You yeah. know, so what you're talking about is like, okay, maybe it's maybe it's relatively advert like maybe there's adversity from a relative perspective but if you zoom out a little bit things change now whether or not that's valid i I don't know and to be fair part of what rocky was saying to him was listen man life is tough grow up right like this this is life this is life and yeah but it, it is a fair question uh yeah that's a good one and but i think the same question of um success or whatever it may be Seneca's on the shortness of life what is success you know like you just had an episode the end of the world if there's a couple months left of your life or two years left of your life which could be the case for either one of us because that's obviously totally uncertain we have no idea um 
when that will be. Like, you know, how does that change your definition of success? Probably like a ton. It probably just straight up shakes your total idea of of success. You know, maybe two months versus two years may be different, but like e- either way, it totally alters it, I think. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. And I, and I don't think it's a full representation. Like, I don't think that you can think about that and then apply whatever you would do if you had two days left to live to the rest of your life. But I, yeah. because I think that, you know what I mean? Because it's, it's like, <clears throat> like you do so many things for the future. Like, you know, for example, you're working right now, you're doing a lot of things, presumably for your kids. Um, not that you wouldn't, not that you're not do you wouldn't do it anyway right now, but you're doing it so that you can set them up for a good future. But like, what if we're all going to die in two months? Okay. Well, all that stuff goes out the window because earth's not even going to be here. So it's not like a full representation of what you would do, but it's really interesting to consider what you actually would do. And what I, I analyze this and the conclusion that I came to was that if you had a few days left to live, most people would want to spend time with family. Most people would want to not only spend time with family, but do the things that you do every day with your family, cook a meal, talk, have dinner, hug, tell each other you love them. All these things that you get to do every single day of your life. And so my takeaway from that is it's not that you shouldn't have goals and it's not that you shouldn't strive for larger success, but you have to understand that the happiness in life is literally in the moment and you can, you can live in the moment and not necessarily live for the moment. You know, you can have a future in mind, but it's about being present through the process on the road to whatever you coin success. That's where the real happiness in life is found as opposed to, you know, waiting till I get to the top of the mountain and then everything's going to be okay. Cause that doesn't exist. You know, an interesting thing, not in this letter on the happy life, but a recent one that I read by Seneca, he talks about the, the wise person doesn't always take the same step. There's a bit of meandering going on, but they're, they're on a single road. They know the destination. There may be a bit of veering and navigating as you go, but it's a single road. It's a single path. They have that idea, but I, I don't know. I, I think you can have maybe not the end of the world because that's not necessarily likely, but you can have the idea of the end of your particular time here, you know, your particular time with loved ones and, you know, still navigate your particular path. Like, the, you know, on the shortness of life is like, that is so relevant now 2000 years from now it's just like man it's um Mm -hmm. like time passes like what do you really want to do with this with this life well we know like it's interesting to me because you we know like delayed gratification what is delayed gratification we know that people who delay gratification are happier people generally speaking right what is delayed gratification delayed gratification is putting off the reward further and further and further and further. Now, what that tells me as a someone who thinks way too much is that when you're putting off the goal further and further, it allows you to build something bigger. 
But but the other side of that is that because you keep putting it off, you're spending more time in the process itself. And so you're finding fulfillment in the journey versus the achievement of the goal. So the more you delay gratification, the more you sort of have this philosophical idea of, you know, in the gym, they would say, enjoy the process, enjoy the climb, as opposed to hoping for something big, because you understand that, well, once I get it, it's on to the next thing. So it's, it's the daily process, the things that you're doing along the way, that's where real happiness comes from. And not only do we, I think a lot of people know that philosophically, but I think the data is supporting that now, which blows my mind that we have yeah. studies on delayed gratification. Like, blows my mind that we're experiencing these things that philosophy has known for, what, thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. What about this idea of, which comes up quite a bit in this, the happy life and obviously many others, the idea of desire. You know, it's, it's yeah. about removal of desire like if you have money if you have whatever it may be hey okay but you don't need it it's it's about not thinking that you need it um something that came up uh did did you have a conversation with uh david feidler yet on not uh, yet no i will though oh, okay well something that came up towards the end and he writes in the in the book breakfast with seneca it's about kind of removing fear of death and fear of poverty. And it's like the fear, obviously an important, like interesting thing, but it's like the fear of poverty as well, not being attached and feeling that you, you know, need all these things that you don't have right now. Like that is an interesting thing to, to meditate on and, like come to some sort of realization if that's possible that you need nothing like beyond what you have mm -hmm. right now. And maybe that's not the case for, for, for everybody, but maybe for more people than, than actually realize that. Well, the Stoics did distinguish between desires too, right? They had, they had what they called natural desires and unnatural desires. So, because you could say, well, I'm going to stop the desire for food. No, that's, that's not what Stoicism <laughs> says because there's certain, you know, <laughs> physiological needs that the Stoics understood that you need. So they, they would never say that you should never go after, you should never have food, stop your desires, or you should never go to the washroom, you know, all these things. You should never look for love. Like these are what they would coin natural desires. So then they separated that between unnatural desires. I, I don't know if they called it unnatural desires. I can't remember the right term, but basically everything outside of that. And the way they define those as being the more you get – it's it's like you it's like you're drinking water when you're sick. You drink it but you're just you're still thirsty and then you throw it all up and then now you're even more thirsty so you drink a bit more and then you're thirsty again then you throw it all up and you just keep it's like this endless cycle and you see people do this with money all the time and possessions and iPads and iPhones you see them they'll get a new the new iPhone and then oh I'm so happy now and then the next year another one comes out and then they get the next iPhone. It's this unquenchable thirst. And so on, on, you know, the Stoics would say on those particular desires, because it's unquenchable, there's literally nothing you can do to quench that other than to try and quench it. So you're never going to fill it. So that's where they come in and they say, well, let's, let's work on accepting the fact that this isn't going to actually make you happy. 
That doesn't mean you can't have those things or work towards like wealth. Wealth is a preferred indifferent, which is sort of a weird term, preferred indifferent, right? But you're allowed to move towards wealth, but you're absolutely not allowed to say, because I am not wealthy, given that you have all your natural desires met, just because I'm not wealthy, therefore I am not happy. It's not allowed in Stoicism. It's not. But you are allowed to move towards it. So it, it is cool. Desire is really is a really interesting concept in Stoicism, how they deal with it. It's very nuanced, too. I love this like older book. It's probably like 20 years old now by um, William Irvine, who I was finally like able to uh, connect connect with. But uh, the book is is called Desire. You know, it's why we want what we want, and he gets into you know from Buddhism, all all sorts of different traditions, and and, and the the wisdom around removal of desire but I, I was talking with someone and they had the perspective of this removal of desire repressing you know what you actually want maybe not being a healthy way or if you want a a new car or xyz or you know you, you name the thing of following that and I don't know, the more I've I've thought about it since then, I'm back on the side of no, like the, the path is about like removal of desire. You think about families in marriage and being being faithful to, to one another. So many things in life where it's no, you've got to know how to remove those desires like that is something you need to know how to do. You have to have discipline, self-control, temperance, whatever it may be. That is one of the cardinal virtues for a, a reason. Yeah. And that's a, that's a Nietzsche idea that you want to go after. Yeah. He, he, uh, the will to power was a huge thing, but he talked about how, you know, you, you don't quench your desires. What are you guys talking about? What you do is you get what you want and then you get that. And then you go on and you get something else that you want. And it's interesting because I I don't think he's entirely wrong, but I I I really am on the side of of quenching desires. But but see the Stoics. See I I really think the Stoics had it right on this because they did with this really weird uh, contradicting term preferred indifferent, and it's a weird term, right? Because something is indifferent is neither good nor bad. But then you say, well, it's a preferred indifferent. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what does that mean? It means like if there's a brownie in hand's reach, you're allowed to take the brownie and eat it and enjoy it. You're not allowed to sit down all day and have brownies for the rest of your life. But if it's within reach and you're not, you know, working your ass off to get this one brownie, it's okay. That's kind of the stoic approach. It's like you're 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 allowed to enjoy things. You're allowed to you're allowed to enjoy the simple pleasures in life, but you're not allowed to like dedicate your life to getting those things. And you're not allowed to tell yourself that I can't be happy unless I have that brownie, man. Right. Yeah. So it, it, but it is a really weird concept, isn't it? Like preferred and different. David Feidler, he writes in the, in breakfast with Seneca, he calls it vantage or disadvantage, which I think is a little clearer, but let, let me go dark with you for, like a moment on this, you know? So, and if we think like notes from the underground type of 
type of darkness or like yeah. somebody has a desire they want x number of dollars they want it now and they're thinking and this happens you know every day multiple times a day somebody that is doing something that is illegal to fill this desire just to use some sort of example that's not something where you can necessarily have one brownie. You you can't even have taste of that. You have to know how to remove that desire. And there's many, like many other examples where it's you can't even go down that path. You go down that path and it's, your life has now, you know what I mean, changed. There are consequences to whatever it may be, you're unfaithful in a relationship, you know, at some point in time, there are things where you just simply, you have to know how to remove that desire completely, you know, or not act on that particular desire and make a step down that path. Yeah. It's kind of like a couple things come to mind there. First of all, unforgivable sins, which is a Christian mm. idea, of course, but it's, I, I like this idea. And I, I like it with a bitter taste in my mouth because what it means is that there's some things you can do that are not worthy of forgiveness. And that's that's hard. That's a hard truth, but I think it's true because Harry Potter had this idea where Voldemort would murder and his soul would split in, in two. Every time he murdered someone, his soul would split. That's what that meant is that there's there's some acts in life that are literally unforgivable. And what's... What's really hard to swallow about that is you have to accept the fact that there, there's a chance that you could do something like that, like which is why you got to work hard to not do that. But but it's it's hard to see anyone with no shot of redemption. That that's a hard thing. Um, but the other thing that comes to mind there is because what you're talking to in some ways I think is like a vice, like a really strong vice. And I had this when I was a kid. I think I mentioned it before, but, you know, I was very aggressive as a, as a kid. I had a lot of energy, a lot of masculine energy. And I think it was so strong. Sometimes I think it is still that, still that strong, but it, it's, it's a, it's a vice that's so pronounced that I have to channel it some way. And this is sort of the mm -hmm. Carl Jung idea. So I channeled it through strength training, just get out, get out the energy, let out the aggression, move something heavy. Right. Um, and I, I think that is a real thing. I don't think everyone has this, but I do think some people have a vice that's so strong that there's no way you can philosophize your way out of it. You you have to mm. you have to find a channel for it and try and neutralize it. I guess my point is it's like we have to be able to like repress desires to live the life that we want to live. To live that virtuous life includes you know, repressing desires, the idea of to put it to something touch on as, as we maybe start to, to wrap up a bit, it's like the idea of pleasure, pain, all of that type of stuff. Obviously Seneca's writing about not following the path of pleasure, but it's like, he's kind of reoriented it. Like Aristotle talks about of taking pleasure in virtue, just like you do in strength training. You take pleasure in strength training. 
But there's other people that they don't see it that way. You know, you have reoriented that perspective. And I think we can do the same thing around character, around acts for the common good. We can take pleasure in that particular difficult path or that even I think you can take pleasure in even the removal of desire. Like you have a desire, you think of wanting X or wanting to do this and you let it go right on, right on by as Marcus Aurelius talks about, you know, let it flow down the river. I think there, there can be, Mm -hmm. that can have a good feeling to it. That can bring happiness, peace, flourishing, whatever you would want to, to call it. Yeah, but I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think, though, the strength training thing, at least, because this is sort of in line with stoicism, actually. It's not directly aligned, but because I found why I did it a lot when I was a kid is because I needed it to make me a good person. Like, I needed it to make me a better... Like, it, virtue was still the ultimate, quote, quote, pleasure. I use that term very lightly when I'm talking about virtue, but... Virtue yeah. was the ultimate goal because it's not that it's not that when I strength trained and I went out and I was a happier person, I feel good about that. I, and I, I did feel good about that. But the, the bigger thing it did was make me not go out in the world and be an a-hole. So because I know how that feels, I know like I knew how that felt. So for me, yeah. it's it's more about. You know, I feel like every time we talk, we talk about how horrible, horrible of a person I am. But uh, no. but yeah, but I, but I really feel like I, uh, I needed that as a kid, and and in some ways, I think I do, not nearly as much. But it, it does. It it there's pleasure in the journey, but fundamentally, what it gets down to is if I do this, if I let this vice out in a in a at least a neutral manner, and it's constructive for me because it's strength training. But let's just say you can neutralize it. Well, the result of that is that. I am now a better person, which means yeah. I wasn't a bad person as much as I could have been. And, that, and I, t- I do take a lot of pride and pleasure in that. Yeah. Always good to chat with you. Maybe to wrap up, if you could, is there anything that comes to mind as a, as a wrap up of this letter from Seneca on the, the happy life? Like what's a, what's a takeaway that you're walking away with it? Uh, so yeah, we got a lot. Thanks so much, man, for having me. Like it's, it's always a pleasure. I always, always love talking to you. I I hope, uh, hope your listeners take a lot of value in it. Yeah, for sure. And you know, more to come, but I think we'll just, I think I'll end with how we started. You know, I think we all want to be happy in life, but the path to happiness is not, you can't get happiness through chasing it directly. I think that's the fundamental takeaway that this gets down to pleasure seeking, you know, it all ties in with everything we talked about desire, you know, getting, getting rid of your vice, um, love and affection and children, all these things. It's like, you have to do the things that you think are going to give you a deeper sense of happiness as opposed to something that's really peripheral. So live, you know, do the right thing, live a good life and happiness will be a byproduct of that. I love it. One thing, if I could just add, like an interesting point that comes up in many of these things, these uh, letters, is Seneca's talking about not necessarily following the crowd. And he's looking to answer this question of what is happiness, but he's clear of it's 
not necessarily, you know, the consensus. So the Strong Stoic podcast will link in the notes and stuff like that. Is there anywhere else? Like, where's the best way to, uh, you know, for people to connect connect with you, Brandon? Yeah, check me out on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. I am increasingly more active on Twitter. But yeah, you can find me everywhere at the Strong Stoic or uh, BrandonTumblin.com is my website. And you can find all the links there. And yeah, I love I love hearing from people. I never get tired of, of talking with people on their whatever they're struggling with on their philo- philosophical journeys. So I uh, love to hear from people. If anyone's interested, reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. You can get the show notes and links to resources mentioned at perennialleader.com slash podcast. If you're interested in learning more, subscribe to The Path. It's our free weekly newsletter. These are short reflections on wisdom for everyday life right to your inbox. And lastly, I urge you to put what you heard into practice. Until next time, be wise and be well.